We're glad again that you are here today, this last Sunday in August. This is our last look at Philippians. We've been doing this in July and August, kind of our summer study as we head towards Labor Day. We're reaching towards the goal, and we're finishing the race today, at least, you know, the race of uh, studying Philippians. Next week is Labor Day, and the week after that, we'll begin a fall series on the book of Acts on, on uh, September 10th. So let's dive right into Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 23 the very last part of Paul's letter uh, to his beloved church at Philippi. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who, strengthen, who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this Sunday, this day that we gather here in this building and in this room, as we learn again from this book, this letter to the Philippians, may the meditations of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, Jerry's roughing it this week in France, if you didn't know that. He's on a trip uh, with some other ZPCers and many others kind of touring Normandy, so you get me this morning. But I'm happy to be up here. I want to tell you, I love Philippians, uh, maybe my favorite of all the epistles in the New Testament. So it's really, it's a privilege to be talking about it and to kind of finish up our series this morning uh, in Philippians chapter 4. Now, in verse 12, and I want to focus a lot on this this morning, in verses 12 and 13, in verse 12... Paul says this. He has a secret. He has a secret. And I don't know about you, but uh, I like secrets. You know, not gossipy kind of secrets. Okay, some of those, you know, might be enticing. But really, you know, if you know someone's going to have a surprise birthday party, or my wife who does most of our Christmas shopping, shopping, if she's bought some neat gifts for our kids, and uh, and you're excited to share, you're, you're waiting for someone else to learn that, kind of that surprise, that kind of secret, I think that's really exciting and fun. And I'll tell you, um, we're not that great at keeping secrets at my house. I, and I'm probably that. I tend to be real, like too honest, especially if someone asks me what's going on. 
But Paul can't really keep a secret either, okay? So Paul wants to share immediately what he learned, and it's because it's something important for the, um, the Philippians to hear. I think he says he has a secret because he wants them to really listen as this letter is being read to them. The secret is to be content in Christ, that he has learned to be content in Christ because, and here's the great secret, because he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. And you know, when you read that, if you read that for the first time, you might say, well, that's it. That's all there is. The secret is, you know, depending on Jesus' strength, that I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. That's it. That's the secret. But we're going to dive into some of that. So what does that mean for all of us? When I was about 13, 14, or 15, about that age, I had a lot of posters. I don't know about you guys, but I had a lot of posters in my bedroom. My parents let me put up stuff in my bedroom. And I had one in particular, being a a kid who went to church and was a Christian, but also who loved basketball, probably maybe more than Jesus at some times. I don't know. But so I had a poster. I remember very specifically because I look right out of my bed and see it on my wall when I would go to bed at night before I would turn out the lights. And it was of a basketball player, and then at the bottom it said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. I had that poster up there for a long time. Now, for me, being a young teenager, kind of finishing up middle school, going into high school, I was thinking, well, maybe if I pray hard enough, God can help me through Christ's strength, you know, shoot like Larry Bird, or, you know, pass like Magic Johnson, or even a few years later as I got higher into high school, you know, fly like Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike, you know. That was never going to happen. And so I had to learn it was something different than that. Maybe this verse means something else because uh, I did play basketball in high school. I was good enough to make my high school team and get a little playing time my senior year. Uh, But that was all it was for me. And so I learned it must be something else, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So as I was studying this week, one Bible scholar said this about this specific verse. He said, the power we receive in union with Christ is sufficient. The power we receive in Christ is sufficient to do his will and to face challenges. So Christ's power is sufficient to do his will and to face challenges. And like I found out, he also went on to say this, Christ does not grant us superhuman ability to accomplish anything we can imagine, that it has to be in regards to his interest. Our will needs to match up with what God's will is uh, when we're doing all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, back to the basketball analogy, and I kind of learned this as I was going along, and sometimes as a teenager, you're not so smart. You think you might know everything, but you don't. When I was a junior, I made the varsity basketball team. I was very excited, pretty much sat on the bench all year. I was one of those kids I got in the game if we were way ahead or way behind at the end of the game. But I learned, and at the time I was also a Christian, I learned I could be a good teammate. I could cheer for my teammates. My coaches said, you need to push the other guys and practice. Practice really hard so you can push them. And I learned life lessons through that, through Christ, I think, who gave me strength. As a senior, I got some playing time. And I remember, so this is the first time being in this big gym, you know, on a, and having a lot of playing time when it counted and having butterflies in my stomach before games. And so I would pray, God, give me the strength to do what you're calling me to do, just at a small level of high school basketball, and so I learned that. I learned a much more important lesson, and I've shared this before, so forgive me if you've heard this before, but I think it relates to this passage as well. At the end of my sophomore year of high school, one of my best friends, who was also one of my best basketball friends, that we had played basketball together on the same teams for a couple of years and had become very close friends, 
And I learned one morning that he had been killed in a car accident, he and his father both, uh, by a drunk driver, and his little brother was badly injured. And through that, God gave me the strength, and with several of my other friends, we were all close friends with Todd, to pull together. And through that, we actually started with a local pastor, a small group Bible study that went on for the rest of high school, which actually helped all of us go a lot deeper in our faith. And with a friend of mine who kind of nudged me to do this, we also spent some time reaching out to his younger brother, Todd, uh, his younger brother, Glenn, Todd's younger brother, Glenn. And that was very impactful for me as well, to just be a little bit uh, filling in in some small ways for his big brother who was no longer there. And I think God gave us the strength to even think about that, you know, as 17 and 18-year-olds of what can we do. Um, And so God gives us strength to do all things when challenges arise. As I was thinking about this passage this week as well, I thought of army slogans. And so I looked up some army slogans and the the slogan at World War I was the picture which we've all seen probably of Uncle Sam. He's pointing his finger and he's looking directly out from the poster and he says, I want you for the U.S. Army. More recently on television and other commercials or ads, we see Army strong. But in the 1980s and 90s, they had a slogan which was very popular for more than 20 years. And I bet you can all remember it because I remember it. Do you remember what the Army slogan was? Anybody? Be all you can be. Be all you can be in the U.S. Army. And that really resonated with me. It's like, well, I'm not going to join the Army, but I want to be all who I can be. And I think in a, in a, as a Christian, it can relate as well to Philippians 4, 12, and 13. We think about what does it mean to be content? What does it mean to do all things through Jesus who gives us strength? It means to be all we can be, all who God calls us to be, in our gifts, in our abilities, the season of life, wherever we are in our walk of life, to be all that we can be when we depend on Jesus who gives us strength. So that's part of being content. Well, so Paul says he knows the secret of being content. I talked with some guys this week, and we talked about it's hard to be content. Uh, And several of us, we're kind of in the same age group where we're working hard, we're in our working lives, and we have kids at home, and it's hard to be content. You know, life is busy, uh, throws a lot of curveballs your way, and um, it's hard to be content in life. I was reading this week as well that we live in maybe the most prosperous time in human history, especially in the United States, but all kinds of studies, and I read various studies this week, that prosperity does not make us happier, and it has not made us happier. There were different uh, studies this week which went into great detail. I also learned that that's not just for our time, but has been for all time, that prosperity does not make us content. Wealth does not make us content. So I was looking back at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and kind of the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon which the Bible tells us was the richest man in the world at his time. Uh, He put gold on almost everything. Several steps to get up to the throne, and apparently had two lions on each either side of King Solomon's throne. He was wealthy almost beyond imagination. But when you read Ecclesiastes, probably near the end of his life, 
He says in a couple, a couple of different ways, everything is meaningless. He goes on to say, whoever loves money never has enough from King Solomon. Whoever loves money never has enough. But then he goes on to say that really the meaning in life is to follow God. And he says this, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. So Solomon even talks about who had pretty much everything he could think of worldly-wise, that all those things for him were meaningless in comparison to following God and to having relationships. Even with someone, he said, when, when one falls down, his friend can help him up. He had learned that at least. And we know that Paul was in prison. We've talked a lot about that over these last six or eight weeks here in this study of Philippians. But overall, he is joyful. How is it that he is joyful while being in prison? Maybe even thinking about, could this be where he ends his life? Yet the word joy or rejoice appears 16 times in these four short chapters in Philippians. Paul is joyful because he has learned the secret of being content, depending on Jesus. And really, I think two things that Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 4, many things, but these two things in today's passage. Number one, he depends on Jesus. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And number two, he depends on others. And you say, well, how is he depending on others when he's in, he's in prison? He's depending on others. And we'll get to that in a moment. But Paul is not self-sufficient in Philippians. He is God-sufficient. He depends on God. He depends on Jesus. And he's not preoccupied with his situation. He's preoccupied. He keeps his focus on Jesus and on others. So how does he depend on others? Well, the community of Christ, especially those from Philippi, he's writing this letter to, and they're a long way away. That's a town in Greece. They have sent Epaphroditus, which we talked about in chapter 2, and it brings it up here again near the end of Philippians 4, where we read just a moment ago, that they sent Epaphroditus for a long journey to get there to bring gifts to Paul, but then also to stay with him. We don't know for how long, but to stay with him, to be a companion so that he could have someone to be with and to carry out letters. We know that Paul had uh, papyrus or paper and some writing instruments, and at the time he wrote, I believe, four of the epistles that we have in the New Testament from prison. So part of Epaphroditus' job, we know, is to carry back this letter to Philippians, but also to be a companion to Paul. So Paul depends on Jesus. As last week, we, I think it was, we studied that he said his citizenship was in heaven. He kept his focus on God, on Jesus. And so he, not on earthly things, but on the things that were most important. He also said not to worry, but to pray about everything, to give your cares up to God and that God will give you peace in that. That was in last week's uh, lesson as well. Thinking on that this week and looking at a commentary on Philippians, I read about a pastor who was dealing with cancer, which eventually took his life, and I didn't know him, didn't know his name. But I read in this commentary that he preached a message near the end of his life, focusing on what's really important in his life. And here are the three points of his sermon, which were passed on. Today is all you have. Today is all you need. And today is all you can handle. I thought that was a good message and that something that Paul could resonate with in Philippians 4. Today is all you have. Today is all you need. Today is all you can handle. I think it resonates well with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 and 6 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough problems of its own. Instead, seek God's, king, God's kingdom first, and everything else will be given to you as well. Again, Paul says in those famous verses in 6, 7, and 8, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So pray about things. Again, depend on Jesus first. It's the secret of being content, is that you can do all things when you pray to Jesus and you ask for his help. Now, that sounds pretty high up there, you know, kind of high theology. And how do we how do we practice that? I think it's harder to do. As we said, contentment can be difficult. Well, Claire and I, we're in a season of life where we have kids uh, going to college. So our son Jacob starts his first day at Huntington University for his sophomore year tomorrow. He's been helping kind of with the welcome week stuff the last few days, so he's starting his sophomore year tomorrow. And our daughter Lexi is a senior in high school. She's doing college visits and we're not very excited that a year from now she'll be going to college. We try not to talk about it too much, even though I'm talking about it now. But we worry about that. You know, we worry about them. Will they be happy? Will they, will they graduate? Will, will Alexia find the right college? And honestly, we worry about paying for it too. College is expensive. And then so that leads us back to prayer. And we pray as you do. You pray for your family. You pray for your loved ones. We pray that God will provide. And in the end, we realize that worry can do nothing Today is all we have. Today is all we can handle. And so we do plan. We are putting money away in a 529 account, which we use some for Jacob and hopefully saving some for Lexi in the future. So we do plan, and I think that's good stewardship to plan for the future. And yet we try not to worry and to put each day into God's hand, trusting that he knows what their future is. We do not. Whether they graduate or not for college, God cares about them. He loves them. And we try our best to put our kids into God's hand, to depend on Jesus first, to trust in his strength. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, to pray for his daily bread, not for long term, but to pray for his daily bread, and then to live for each day. And then the second, to depend on others around us, depend on the local church and others around us. That's something that Paul did. I think one of the uplifting things about this message is Paul's dependence on the local church. And oftentimes I think of Paul, you know, he's, he's writing all these letters to these local churches. He's helped gone off, and it's hard to put ourselves in his shoes, but probably walked to these faraway places, met people for the first time, told them about Jesus. Some of them believe it, some of them don't. And then he starts to help them to build up a local church and then leaves them to go somewhere else. And yet they care for him too, especially this church at Philippi. And he writes in such a way that they have cared for him many times. And again, he writes this letter, that they have cared for him by sending gifts, as we said before. They have supported them. And he feels very fond of them and close to them. And I like about Paul that he writes a lot of theology. I like reading Romans because he writes a lot of theology in Romans. But here in Philippians, he's very personal both at the start and the end of the letter. And I wondered about that. And I think it's because for Paul, especially at this time in his life, when he's in great crisis or challenge being in prison, that relationships matter deeply to him. And if someone has cared for him as they have for him, the church in Philippi, those relationships matter. So from the first of the book to the end, Paul rejoices in their concern for him. He gives thanks to God every time he thinks of them. He is concerned for their health and for the health of Epaphroditus. 
He wishes for them. He writes for them to grow in Christ. He said he prays for them. And he tells that because of their gifts to him, that they too will be blessed by God. Paul is very personal, and he cares deeply and is incredibly grateful for the relationships that he has. It's how we see Jesus. It's hard to see Jesus sometimes. It's how we see Jesus in relationship. So when I did youth ministry, I used to tell a story, and it's a story I got from somewhere else. It wasn't an original story, but it helps us, I think, to think of relationships and how we see Jesus, how we depend on him through others. There was a girl who was involved in a youth ministry or a youth group, and the youth pastor was having a talk on like a Sunday night, and he was saying, you know, you need to, to trust in Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. She kind of looked perplexed and a little bit after the youth group as well, and he went over to talk to her, and he said, so, so I was talking about trusting in Jesus, but maybe you looked a little confused or perplexed, and I wondered what was going on. And she said, well, I'm going through a lot in my life, and sometimes I just need Jesus with skin on. I need Jesus with skin on. And what she was saying is I need people to show me Jesus. I need real people to show me Jesus. And I think we need that here in our lives as well. Paul certainly needed it. We think of him as a super Christian sometimes, but he needed people and expressed that to the church at Philippi. We need that too in our relationships here at ZPC. We love it. We talk about this as a church staff, and I talk about this with Jerry. We love it that you are here on Sunday morning. It is highly important. It's one of the best and most important things we do that we come together as the body of Christ, the church family, that we worship together, that we pray together. We read scripture, we eat donuts together. All that is very important. It is also important that on the other days of the week, when you're not here, especially on a Sunday morning, that you're interacting with people. And we know that you have to day by day, but you're interacting with other Christians and hopefully with your church family as well. Now, that's up to you to do that. It's your choice. But we hopefully provide opportunities for you to do that. And that is why as we begin this fall, we wanted to provide some opportunities. I'm going to make a little commercial here because I think it matters. I think it goes along with what Paul's saying. It's for adult ministries. And so there's tables right out in the center of the gathering space. You had to walk by them on your way in, and there's a brochure, a little insert in your bulletin this morning. Adult ministries at ZPC. And so there's opportunities for men and for women. These involve like Sunday school classes or Bible studies. These involve some social things like faithful moms. Or um, a fun one is called Free Birds. That's kind of cool. I'm very interested in that. You can talk to Christy Bond, Susan O'Dell about that. ZPC men, we're doing some fun things. We're beginning a study coming up soon. There's a Thursday morning men's Bible study. So these involve more study where you can grow deeper in your faith as well as social things like second half adventures and also our Sunday morning classes in the ZPC choir as well. Don, you still have room for choir, for people to join choir? And they're beginning their practices. They had their first practice this past Wednesday as well. And so you can talk to Don about that. So opportunities for you to go deeper, but more importantly, I think, and also importantly, to connect with other Christians that you can support one another in faith. So we want you to check out that. And one of the things we want you to check out is our home groups. So if we think about fulfilling our mission of community, so we're called together by God. We have community. And then we're growing as disciples in Jesus Christ. And then we're going out to serve. We're called together by God. That's that community. 
and then we're growing in our faith, we're studying the Bible, we're growing as disciples, then if we go out and serve, one of the ways we can do all three, we believe, is through home groups. And so we want you to encourage. We have a lot of you, I know, as I look around, are involved already in home groups, and that's great. If you're not, I want to encourage you to think about that over the next three weeks of joining a home group. We have sign-ups this morning in the gathering space. You can do that online at zpc.org as well. And you can talk to me or Sally Bias or anyone else about joining that. But if you don't know about home groups or if you want to hear more about it, I'm inviting Andrew and Abby Perrin, who are very active in our home groups, to come up. They're going to grab a mic, and I have a couple of questions for them about home groups. And this kind of talks about, you know, the message as well, and their kids are coming up, which is awesome. And so um, Abby's been involved in, uh, in kids' ministry. Andrew's one of our current elders, which is awesome. And Abby, you're a, a nurse as well, correct? So they're busy folks. They've got a, life, life, a lot of life going on, but they've been involved in home groups as well and are currently leading a group with the Witters, which is great. So question one, what's been good about being in or leading a home group for you guys? Yeah, so for us, I think the, the home groups have been, you know, an incredible experience. We moved a little less than four years ago from Chicago um, and have been in home groups almost that this is the fourth year we're doing home groups. So. Uh, we've actually been in two. The first group kicked us out, so we had to find a new one. But uh, no, actually, it was it was great. But we uh, we felt it was so so important and helpful to us that we wanted to break off and and make that opportunity available for more people uh, and and lead our own group. But I'd say uh, for us, it's been a great way to get connected. Um, we've made some dear friends very quickly through that, um, and and I think getting plugged into to ZPC and our community has been really helpful. That's great. Um, I really like it for our kids um, because they look forward to it and get really angry when we don't have it. Um, <laughs> and uh, even when we switched from the Stahlbombs group and started this group, uh, my kids, it was like somebody canceled Christmas. They were so upset that <laughs> we were going to be in a different group, but um, they absolutely love the new one. They love both of them, but um, it's a chance for them to connect with other kids yeah. in the church and also for other adults in the church to know them. Um, and we pray for each other's kids, and our kids um, know a lot of faces at church and trust a lot of yeah. adults in the church because they know them so well from home groups. So. That's great. Where have you seen, and you talked a little bit about that, I think, but where have you seen God at work? Maybe some things that you've seen God at work in your groups. Um, I think the biggest thing I've seen is um, we've had in both groups uh, people go through some really difficult times, whether it be um, illness or uh, death in the family um, or just struggling um, with a child, like a child having a hard time at school or, you know, whatever it is, and seeing how the home group kind of came around them and provided meals for them, prayed for them, supported them, loved them. Um, I think that's been the most tangible way I've seen um, God work through our groups. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and, and I would add, I think, in, in keeping with the theme of the sermon, you know, I think we've seen Jesus use the people in the home group to build his kingdom. And yeah. so it's been really fun to see, uh, you know, whether it's Sunday or midweek, just to go through the church and see the um, members of our, of our group in, actively involved here in serving. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, God has used that use the people in our group uh, directly to accomplish his mission. That's great. And so why would you say, and you've kind of given reasons why, but well, we want people who aren't involved, in a, and especially for you to think about if you're not involved to join the group, what would, what would you say to people about possibly joining a group? 
Yeah, I would add one thing that we, that we haven't mentioned yet would be it's also a, a good way to grow uh, closer in your relationship with God because uh, it's one more time to revisit the passage from Sunday. Um, and a lot of times there, with the sermon uh, being relatively short, there's one kind of main theme, but there's oftentimes a lot more in that. So it's been a good way to spend more time in the scriptures and revisit it throughout the week and, and make it fresh and real. I like that it gives an opportunity, like Andrew said, to um, revisit what we talked about at church um, on Sunday. And because if we don't have home group, I have a really hard time purposefully throughout the week thinking about what we talked about on Sunday. And so it creates a really convenient way to think on that more. Mm -hmm. um, and I also like that it provides an opportunity to have community with other people in the church. Like it sets aside a time that and you make sure it happens yeah. um, because a lot of times you're well-intentioned and think that's a great thing to have community and then you're too busy um yeah. so it sets aside a time to make sure that happens that's great mm -hmm. well thank you guys thanks for leading home groups and thanks for sharing today we're so glad i'll give it back to andrew thank you so much thanks guys appreciate it Well, as Abby said, one of the things about home groups is we revisit the scripture that was in the sermon that week, and we'll begin these the week of September 10th, so actually two Sundays from today, and it's funny, we have a worship team meeting on Wednesday afternoons, and I will tell you, sometimes we'll be like, what did we talk about in the sermon on Sunday? So, you know, honestly, even for the preachers sometimes, and I especially think this on Jerry, once Sunday morning is over at Sunday noon, he's got to move on and start thinking about the next Sunday, and so... It is good, and, and it helps even me in my Tuesday morning men's group that meets at 7 a.m. at Rosie's on Main Street in Zionsville. There's about seven of us that meet there. That we revisit the scripture, and we actually open up our Bible or pull it out on our phone sometimes, and we reread it again, and then we have questions that we go through. And similar to what Abby and Andrew shared, we pray for each other. And I would share out of my group, and I've been with these guys about three years, and we've had a couple of guys step out, and a couple of people join back in. But it's been very meaningful. We prayed for one of our, our guys that his elderly father passed away and supported him. And another time when a couple of us knew someone who passed away and we prayed for each other and called each other and checked on each other as well as just job things and life issues and things that are going on in life. And we look to each other for advice. It's been very meaningful. I want to tell you too, uh, Abby and Andrew are, uh, lead young families groups. We have groups for all ages, including Don and Sir Armstrong. I'm putting them on the spot. I saw Don this morning. They're opening up their home to start a daytime group. And Don and Sue are some of our, our saints who are a little bit older, you know, not that much, but a little bit. And, uh, and Ruth Ann and Alan Townsend are starting a new group as well. Um, so there's some opportunities for you. And then there's some other groups which already exist, but which have openings that you can uh, sign up. So Paul, even though he was alone in prison, he had traveled to different churches. He was not without community. He oftentimes traveled with companions, either like Silas or Timothy, who came alongside him, or even Epaphroditus that we talked about. So he shared community with them. He loved the churches that he worked with, and oftentimes he would spend a long period of time to be with them. And you read some of his letters, he wanted to go back and visit with them again. And he closes with this, saying to one of his favorite churches, the church at Philippi, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul ends this book with grace. 
He is, he is a man of grace, content with who he is in Jesus, and uplifted by his relationships. He depends on Jesus. He depends on others. And he says his secret is, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. May that be our secret as well. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that you love us deeply, that you care for us. But God, sometimes just as a, a, a girl one time said, we need Jesus with skin on. Help us to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But then also, God, help us to think about who are other people in our lives that we can depend on or that they can depend on us in some sort of relationship. Lord, and if we can be part of that here at ZPC through our programs, our studies, our ministries, or through home groups, help us to step out and do that but also in our relationships outside of this church, wherever they are, help us to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen.